0: In the next some 40 or 45 minutes, we are to cover the 52 chapters or 1,364 verses or if we were to do a word study, something over 42,000 words in the book of Jeremiah. You know it will not be easy to do that and the general pattern that has been given for these Wednesday series of the speaker covering one book and then emphasizing the major theme or thought in that book, I don't think can be done for Jeremiah. In the first volume of the commentary, in over a hundred pages, is an effort in covering what I call golden threads of thought down through the book of Jeremiah, each one of which is a special theme. And that's covered before starting the chapter-by-chapter and verse-by-verse commentary coverage. For example, there are several pages devoted to the man and his message, which relates to the places where he preached. How he was rejected, who rejected him, how the rejection affected him, and how God worked with him through the rejection. And that's several pages. There is also an entire section that has to do with Jeremiah's concept of God. Then there's another section that covers ten different ways down through the book that God tried to call Judah to repentance. And that's followed, or there is also then eleven different ways in which a nation falls away from God. And that followed by six different ways through the book of how a nation turns to God. Then there's another section that has to do with God's precepts and principles versus humanistic philosophy and the paganistic nature of idolatry. Then there's another section that covers 15 different ways in which the life of Jeremiah parallels with the life of Jesus Christ. And there are other themes tonight. That's the reason I say I can't cover one. Tonight we're going to try to cover the book around four Ps in the next few moments. One has to do with the period in which he prophesied. The second division has to do with the personalities Key individuals who were living at the same time of Jeremiah. The third is a prospectus, and that's just another word for a brief outline. In this first volume also, I actually have three brief outlines, and all of them are good, that are different approaches to the book. We will touch on one of those, and then I hope the key point tonight of emphasis will be the fourth P, the person. Much of the book is autobiographical. have more about Jeremiah probably than any other Old Testament prophet. And in that regard, we will be dealing with his character and conduct. As we prepare to move into that territory... The period we'll only mention very, very briefly, from about 627 to 586 B.C., when the nation finally fell to the Babylonians, you have Jeremiah doing his prophetic work, and actually the plus is there because he did do some prophetic work after that, which would go beyond that and we do not know exactly how long. Then the second division. The personalities we're going to just name tonight, that's all the time we have, but he lived at a time when five different kings of Judah were involved. First of all, Josiah, from about 640 to 609 B.C., ruled for 31 years and it was in the 13th year of the 31 years that Jeremiah began his prophetic work. When he died, Jehoahaz, due to a conflict with Egypt, was put on the throne for a brief period of three months and then taken by the Egyptians down into Egypt, and he died there. That was a son of Josiah. And another son of Josiah, Jehoiakim, then was appointed by Nebuchadnezzar, the emperor of Babylon. And he ruled in an evil, cruel, selfish way for 11 years. There was no royal burial at the time he died. It said he had the burial of a donkey or an ass and was a very evil man. After that, his son Jehoiachin, and also in scripture, he's referred to as Jeconiah and Coniah, served a brief three months and was taken into Babylonian captivity with his mother and he died there. After that, Zedekiah was set up to be the tutelage king in the left remnant in Judah at that point, And he ruled for 11 years. He was a weak Never should have really been ruling anything type personality. My dad used to have an expression in regard to a dog in our community. Dad said that dog is anybody's dog who'll hunt with him. Well, Zedekiah tended to listen to any prominent leader that was near me to hear Jeremiah and he'd think in that direction, and then someone else come and he even once listened to an Ethiopian slave. And did what he suggested. Jack and I, tragic life. But if you take the 17 years in the life of Josiah, the 11 years would be 28. The next 11 years would be 39. The two, three months, and then he prophesied some after that. There were some 40 years of Jeremiah's prophetic work. Now during that time, there were five good prophets that have books in the Old Covenant that were contemporaries with Jeremiah. Nahum, and you've got the years in which he served, about 625 to 612, primarily prophesying to Nineveh. Then Zephaniah, and the years are given to Judah. Habakkuk, a brief prophetic book but it covered quite a span from about 630 or 625 to 605 to Judah and then Daniel really spent most of his life in captivity but a prominent personality in both the Babylonian ruling patterns and also later in the Medo-Persian and he was there for a long period of time from about 6 when the nation first fell to Babylon, down to 536, which was the year when God's people were able to come back to the area of Judah and Jerusalem. And then Ezekiel from about 593 to 570, prophesying primarily to Judah, and he also was in Babylonian captivity. Those books will be covered by others and Here are those ten key personalities who were living at the same time as Jeremiah. Let's come now to the prospectus. And you will notice chapter 1 is stated as introduction. There are many Bible books in which the first three or four verses are devoted some way to what's in the rest of the book. This entire chapter is truly an introduction and we'll try to show that fact now by coming on to the second division there. The prophecies against Judah and Jerusalem cover chapters 2 through 45. But in that first chapter, you can find that same group of thoughts abbreviatedly or, or stated abbreviate, abbreviatedly, briefly from verses 5 through 9. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Jeremiah 1, and we're going to try to cover this first chapter as a sweeping survey of the 52 chapters. God said to Jeremiah in verse 5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. A tremendous passage we'll look at more in just a moment. But after God said that to him, his response was in verse 6, "Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, while he is speaking, for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am a youth, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. And then the Lord put his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. And thus, here, Jeremiah is set apart to speak for God to his own people. And most of chapters two through twenty-five, that's what he is doing. Those chapters are just laced together with the thus the Lord said, or the Lord spoke to me, the Lord said, Stay, and then there follows the message. But then in verse chapters twenty six through thirty six, you have the reaction to the prophet And most of that material is in that section, which is covered in chapter 1, verses 17 through 19. Drop down to that. Therefore, God said, prepare yourself to Jeremiah, and arise and speak to them all that I command you. Do not be dismayed before their faces, lest I dismay you before them. Face to face confrontation over and over again, face Jeremiah, and is usually against what he was doing. It's a hard life. But God adds in verse 18, For behold, I have made you this day. Hang on to that statement because we're going to touch on it again in a moment. This is right at the first. Of the call to Jeremiah. And God said this day I made you. point we're going to be making is this. It required 20 years of Jeremiah's life to recognize that. We'll try to show that in just a moment. But he made him a fortified city. An iron pillar. Bronze walls against how much? The whole land. Against the kings of Judah, notice it, against its priests, against its priests, against the people of the land. Jeremiah, you're going to be dealing with all of them. And then he said, They will fight against you. I'm going to touch just briefly on the word fight, locum in Hebrew, and it basically means to eat. And then the lexographer points out, it's used poetically to fight or to war. Fierce soldiers are said to devour their enemies. That's the way the people were acting toward them. Mike, how would you like it here if Choctaw would fight you? Man, that hurts. Many preachers have gone through a number of years and somewhere along the way Some may not have gotten along too well with them. And the reaction, it hurts. Go to bed with it. He did it for 40 years among those people and he wasn't a preacher that moved. But he moved them before it was all over or he and God did. Notice now what is stated by God in verse 19. They will fight against you but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, says the Lord, to deliver you. I'll show in just a moment that it took 20 years for him to really realize that. Oh, he realized it to some degree maybe, and yet God said that to him in chapter 1. The next section... Chapters 37 through 45 are primarily devoted to God's promise then fulfilled by the desolation and destruction in Judah. Drop back to verse 11 now and that also is already previewed in the first chapter. Verse 11, chapter 1, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see a branch of an almond tree. Figure of speech. But we might parallel it to the idea we see the buds coming out on the trees for the leaves or maybe the blossoms beginning to show. And we say spring is here. Well, this was a time figure of speech that means it's coming on now. Look in verse 12. Then the Lord said to me, You have seen well, Jeremiah, for I am ready to perform my word. You can go all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy and over a number of centuries when God had already predicted that if the people did certain things, they would go into captivity. He's just saying to Jeremiah, it's now. The time has come. Look in verse 13. And the word of the Lord came to me the second time, saying... "'What do you see?' And I said, "'Well, I see a boiling pot "'and it's facing away from the north. "'Then the Lord said to me, "'Out of the north, calamity shall break forth "'on all the inhabitants of the land.'" And that's the way the Babylonian forces came in. But notice how they came in. Verse 15, "'For behold, I'm calling "'all the families of the kingdoms of the north,' "'says the Lord,' They shall come and each one shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem against all its walls all around and against the cities of Judah throughout the country. They're going to be setting up their little thrones and varied nations. Here's what happened. King Nebuchadnezzar was developing the huge Babylonian empire. And he was doing it by taking one country after another the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Edomites, and even went over into Media in that area. And a number of those nations, like Philistines and others, didn't like the Hebrew people anyhow. And what he did when he would conquer one of these nations was take the best people, the strongest men. Any that were in any way trained in military patterns and bring them into the Babylonian army. And consequently, a number of these nations were happy to go down and get those Jews anyhow. And consequently, there were several nations involved in the Babylonian forces that came in and they had set up their throne over here and over there, priding themselves. That's the picture And it's given in the first chapter. Truly an introduction. God says though what's really happening is what he gives in verse 16. I will utter my judgments against them, against his people, Israel, concerning all their wickedness, because they have forsaken me, burned incense to other gods, and worshipped the works of their own hands. Now, there's one verse that we've not covered yet in the first chapter, and that relates to chapters 46 through 51, because most of that material is his prophecy against the nations. For example, if you were to look at what we will be looking at in just a moment, we'll give the number of nations down through those chapters. But look now at verse 10 because in a part of that introductory statement he said to Jeremiah, See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms, not just Judah. And he said to root out, to pull down. These are figures of speech. Root out means go to the bottom of whatever is in that nation and to pull down Go to the top, the throne, the altar, whatever they have erected, destroy and to throw down. But then he added to build and to plant. That's a part of your work. Most of it's destructive in nature. But not only God's people would come out of the Babylonian captivity to their homeland, but some of these other nations, when Jeremiah prophesied to them, he'd give them a little ray of hope. That they too would return to their homeland. And thus, that first chapter covers 50 chapters. And then you have in verse chapter 52 just a brief review of Judah's final fall and ruin as it mentions the different stages of the people going into captivity in Babylon. That's the book of Jeremiah. I'm more interested now. In the person. And this is what I want to really deal with. Because there are so many fabulous lessons in this. And I'm thankful for the time I have. I may make it. Come now to this first chapter. In verse 5. Because we have there Jeremiah's relationship with his maker. And it's a beautiful story. Especially on God's part. God said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. Want to notice this passage for two different reasons. Number one, we're living in an age when abortion is rampant. Has been in our nation and it is in other nations. The killing of a fetus And they don't want to even call it a person, but I'll guarantee you in a passage like this, God's calling him a person when he was in his mother's womb. And I want you to notice one other passage that we have listed there, Galatians 1, verses 15 and 16, where the Apostle Paul wrote to the Galatian brethren, but when it was the good pleasure for God to separate me, notice, from my mother's womb. And He called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me that I might preach Him among the Gentiles. Now when all that clicked in Paul's head, he said, straightway I conferred not with flesh and blood. started following God then and not what others had been teaching or what he had been thinking. Now you remember, of course, that long before he was the missionary... An apostle and preacher, he was Saul of Tarsus the persecutor. And consequently, you do not lose here the free will of God. Obviously, when Saul of Tarsus was binding men and women and casting them in prison, casting his vote for their death, he was not doing God's will. He was a mixed up man who had a good conscience and thought he was doing God's will. And then on that Damascus road as he made his way to persecute more, Jesus appeared to him and it all got into focus. He knew that Jesus was the Son of God and he flip-flopped. And then he wrote later, but when it was the good pleasure of God, to separate me from my mother's womb. Now the main thought I want us to pick up right now from Galatians 1.15 and 16 and Jeremiah one five, is that God had a plan for Jeremiah when He said, I sanctified you before you were born. And He said, and Paul knew it by the guidance of the Holy Spirit in the... God's good pleasure to separate me when? From my mother's womb. God knew how these men would think and respond. And later how they would serve. But the point I want to give to you and me tonight is, as certain as it is here that God had a plan for Jeremiah, God had a plan for Paul. Don't you doubt it. God had a plan for you too and He had one for me. Now in our freedom of will, becoming a living soul, able to make our own choices, we may not have always done what God wanted, but I'll guarantee you He had a plan for you before you were born. I hope that might help you team up with Him the rest of the way a little better. But let's move on. We've got two. His mission, therefore... With his maker, if we could look at those other verses, especially the 139th Psalm, it would really give emphasis to the fact that God knew us before we were ever born. Notice now his mission because in the prospectus or the abbreviated outline, we noted that from 46 to 51 he is prophesying to the nations. We'll see that particular part of it, then we'll get back to Judah and Jerusalem. In the 46th chapter, he was prophesying to Egypt. In the 47th chapter, to Philistia, Tyre, and Sidon. In the 48th chapter, to Moab. In the 49th chapter, to Amnon, Edom, Damascus, Kedar, Hazar, Elam, and Media. Over that far. In the territory and in chapters 50 and 51 an extended expression of the punishment that God would bring upon Babylon. Jeremiah prophesied to all those nations. So he truly was a prophet to the nations. But now part C you'll notice relates to his maturing. And this is really the heart of what I wanted to cover this evening. First of all, we've already looked in verses 6 through 8 at where He said, I'm young, God, you've got the wrong man. Just like Moses at the burning bush in Exodus responded that he wasn't the right one to go deliver Egypt. Isn't it good that God knows us better than we know ourselves? And that He'll go ahead and work with us patiently. That's what we're about to see. But in verses 6 through 8, he was fearful of going into this work and faltering. But God said, Everywhere I send you, you will go. And every message I give, you will speak. And he sure did. As you see then in chapters 2 and following. But then, two passages... And I'm going to be turning, and you may want to turn right now to 7.16 because they're going, it's going to say exactly the same thing that we see in these two passages. But I gave you those two primarily because they're easy to memorize. By that I mean in 11.14 and 14.11 he said the same thing to him about praying and not praying. And in the seventh chapter, now in verse 16, notice these words from God to Jeremiah. Therefore, do not pray for this people, nor lift up a cry or a prayer for them, nor make an intercession to me, for I will not hear you. Now, we know that God hears everything, but this term here has the idea of hearing and the sense of responding to. And God said, I'm not going to respond to these people anymore. Not in a favorable way. But it could raise a question in your mind, how is it that he's so much in conflict here with what Jesus said in Matthew 5.44 when he said, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. These people were persecuting and would be for some time Jeremiah. Now why did God in one place say pray for them and here say not to pray? The difference is this it was the motive in the background of the man Jeremiah. I cannot visualize and I don't want to. There ceasing to be a United States of America. But I'll guarantee you there are plenty of people who lived on this earth that have seen nations fall while they were living. And some of the trends in our country are not favorable at all. Jeremiah was prophesying the doom and destruction and desolation of his own people and his nation. And he didn't want that to happen. It was a tug of war going inside when God would say, Thus say to, and then there would follow a prophetic expression of destruction and doom. Now interlaced, occasionally there would be something like Jeremiah 6.16, stand and see and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? Walk therein and I'll give rest to your souls. A little hope. And Jeremiah was tugging with a little bit of hope and a whole lot of expression of doom and desolation. And God said, Jeremiah, your prayer life is getting mixed up with the message I'm asking you to deliver. I'm saying that this is going to fall. Don't pray for them as if you think they will stay intact. And consequently, God said don't pray because the prophet was having a tug of war inside himself of knowing how to deal with the message he is delivering and the mean people with whom he was associating. So now come to the next section there in the 15th chapter, and we'll see some more of this battle going on in Jeremiah as he was trying to fulfill what God said, and he did. But sometimes, and it fortunately was true, that when he was Dealing with the thought in his own heart of not wanting to go out and deliver another message of doom. Mike, what if you had to preach 52 weeks in a row on doom and destruction? Man, that would be heavy. It hurt. Especially when you saw someone out there laughing at you while you were doing it. And that's exactly what he's going through. Look now in the 15th chapter, verse 15. Oh Lord, what I'm saying is every time he had a weak moment, you know where he went? He didn't go to the people. He was leaning to think like they did, but he went to God. And if you don't take anything else home tonight, you and I will have a few weak moments. You know where we could best go? Go out and get with God somewhere. O oh Lord, You know, trusting in God in one way, remember me and visit me and take vengeance for me on my persecutors instead of battling back himself. He did like Romans twelve eighteen and 19 suggest, vengeance belongeth unto me, saith the Lord, I will recompense. And Jeremiah says to God, in your endearing patience, do not take me away. Know that for your sake I have suffered rebuke. Your words were found and I ate them. God, I'm trusting in you. I believe in your words. That would be true in one minute and another minute it's hard for him to turn them loose. He had tried to hold on to the little rays of hope that the nation wouldn't fall. And yet most of what he said guaranteed them that it was going to fall. Drop on down to verse 18 just want you to see him hurting really hurting why is my pain perpetual and my wound incurable that's not because of a battle or a sword that's because of the conflict going on inside his heart and he doesn't understand how he can do any more than he's doing and yet by saying what he's saying it's the doom of the nation in which he's living that type thing hurts And he hurt. He mentions about his tears in varied places. My pains perpetual, my wound incurable, which refuses to be healed. I can't find an answer, God. Will you surely be to me like an unreliable stream as waters that fail? Hang on to that. Was he at that moment... Blaming God just a little bit, as if God wasn't coming through like He should, or reacting when He wanted Him to react. You're mighty right; He went through that deep down in His own heart, and He just opened it up to God because God knew it anyhow. He is hurting. Now I want you to see God's response. It's a jewel in a way, but it's hard too. In verse 18, the Lord responded, If you return, Jeremiah is basically saying, God, come down here and help me. I'm thirsty. Give me drink. Instead of God coming down to him, God said, you come back to me. You're slipping, Jeremiah. If you return, then I will bring you back. You shall stand before me. Not just stand out before them. If you take out the precious from the vial, you've got to get things in focus. You shall be as my mouth. Now look at this. Let them return to you, but you must not return to them, which means God knew He was depressed and weakening. We as people have moments like that. God said, If you'll do that, I'll make you to this people a fortified bronze wall. They'll fight against you. Do you remember that from chapter 1? They shall not prevail against you. Why? For I'm with you, he says. You want something for your depression? I'm right here by you. But it didn't seem yet in his heart. His faith was wavering. God said, I'm with you to save you and deliver you, says the Lord. I'll deliver you from the hand of the wicked. Who's the wicked? His own people. And I'll redeem you from the grip of the terrible. Move on over to the next section in the outline in the 17th chapter. He's a little bit closer to God at this point because now instead of blaming God, listen to what he's saying in verse 14 of the 17th chapter Heal me, O Lord and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved. I'm not going to have time to read all of this, so you can read the rest of those verses down there. I do want to notice in verse 15, where he adds, Indeed, they say to me, here's what he's hearing from the audience out there. Where's the word of the Lord? Let it come now. Bragging and boasting Oh, Jeremiah, I wonder what message of doom he's got today. And laugh at him. The Hebrew word for let it come now, part of that is boo, be B-O. And that's what they were doing is mocking the prophet and saying, you're talking about doom, desolation. We're doing alright. Don't worry about us. You just bring on whatever God Because they thought he was telling a falsehood because there were other false prophets telling them peace, peace when there was no peace. Drop on down to verse 18. Let them be ashamed who persecute me. And again, he turns the people over to God. Come to the next one because our time's almost up. In the 18th chapter beginning in verse 18. It's reaching another stage now. Listen to what the people are saying. Come, let's devise plans against Jeremiah. For the law shall not perish from the priest, nor the counsel from the wise, nor the word from the prophet. That's what Jeremiah had been telling him was going to happen. All of your false teachers and leaders are going down. Come, let's attack him with the tongue, and let us not give heed to any of His words. Sure is nice to preach to an audience like that. Not anybody going to listen. But Jeremiah, you go say it anyhow. You think that's not heavy? Just live in that one or two times and you'll appreciate this man never fail to make an appointment. Come on down to the 23rd Verse. As he adds now, Yet, Lord, You know all their counsel. I understand You understand and You're with me. All that counsel that's against me to slay me. They're talking now about killing me. Provide no atonement for their iniquity nor blot out their sin from Your sight, but let them be overthrown before You. Deal with them in the time of Your anger. You might want to... down there, the 10th chapter, verse 24, where Jeremiah is talking about God might do something to him. And he said, God, don't do it when you're angry. And here he said, you get them when you're angry. He's changing his view. The nation's going to fall. What he's been pronouncing is going to be fulfilled. And thus, now in the 20th chapter, for the first time, he was beaten by pasture thrown in stocks for the night, released the next day, and then Jeremiah comes to the chapter that often is mentioned about the persecution he faced. I want to try to cover that, and our time will certainly be up. O oh Lord, you deceived me, and I was deceived. You're stronger than I and have prevailed. Some say that Jeremiah was at a very low moment at this moment. I think he was jumping up and clicking his heels twice before they hit the ground. He said, God, you're strong enough. Let's go on and read the rest of it. Verse 8, For when I spoke, I cried out, I shouted violence and plunder. That's the way it's been. Because the Word of the Lord was made to me a reproach and a derision daily. And I went through this trauma I said I will not mention of him nor speak anymore more in his name. Preacher going to quit. I've had enough of this. had a young man say that to me one time. I don't think I'll even preach again. Man, those are sad words. Jeremiah inside said it. I don't think he ever said it to anyone except to God. But his word was in my heart. Like a whir, like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back. I could not. He had to go say, Thus saith the Lord, and he knew it now, regardless of how heavy things became. He's facing the facts. Verse ten I heard many, not some, but many mocking, fear on every side, gossip. Trail report, they say, and we'll report. Give us a bit of information, we'll get him, take him down. All my acquaintances, these people that were supposed to be close to him, watch for my stumbling. Just people standing around hoping to see he would foul up. Wouldn't you like to live there? Perhaps he can be deceived. And then we will prevail against Him and we'll take our revenge on Him. Here's Jeremiah's response. But the Lord is with me. And He said, He's mighty, awesome one. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble and will not prevail. They'll be greatly ashamed for they will not prosper. Their everlasting confusion will never be forgotten. I don't guess it will. We're still remembering it today. But O Lord of hosts, You who test the righteous and see the mind and the heart, You know me, God, all the way through. Let me see your vengeance on them, for I have pleaded my cause before you. Now look in verse 13. In that terrible moment, fully recognizing that the problem was still all around him, sing to the Lord. Praise the Lord, for He has delivered the life of the poor. The poor, there's Jeremiah, from the hand of the evildoers. When did God say, I'll deliver you? In the first chapter. We're 20 years into his ministry. And he finally grasped, with a recognition of all the problems, that God and I can be a majority. He knew in the midst because he was doing God's will. Don't you see a beautiful lesson here about our need for God in our low moments? Well, I'm just gonna highlight the rest, of our time's up. It was after that that he was incarcerated or put in prison. 37, 15, and 16 states that for many days. Then he was cast into the cistern after he is released for a time. Some others came with charges against him. They threw him down in the cistern and he sunk in the mud. 38th chapter verse 6 After then the Babylonian army came in and conquered all the people Jeremiah if you look in the 37th or 39th chapter verses 11 and 12 beautiful expression of the world emperor Nebuchadnezzar telling his head military man Nebuchadnezzar. when you get to Jeremiah you take care of him And also, whatever he says to you, you do it. Uh, Incarcerated prophet by his own people, being spoken of by the enemy leader. Jeremiah, what do you want? That's in the 40th chapter, incidentally, verses 2 through 4. He said, if you want to go to Babylon, you can go over there and we'll take care of you. If you want to stay here, you can stay here. You talk about God taking care of a prophet in the midst of the almost awful circumstances. It's in there. God will take care of you. Well, oh, Bernard, I get that song going. You'll join in. But after that, he went down into Egypt with a little bitty remnant. He told them not to go, but they took him down there. The word took in the Hebrew means by force he was taken to Egypt. He didn't want to go, but he still prophesied to those people. Faithful unto death. It's a beautiful book. I wish we had more time. Thank you for your listening. And may we appreciate the man, the message, and the God who made him what he was. If there's one passage that parallels, I think of James 1 2 through 4. Count it all joy my brethren when you fall into manifold trials knowing that the proving of your faith work of patience or steadfastness and steadfastness are that hope and patience when it is perfected you will be perfected lacking in nothing. May it be that way in your tomorrows. Grateful to have been with you.